Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you that are new or maybe watching online for the first time, my name is Paul Graham, and I'm lead teaching pastor here at Lakeside, and very glad to have you with us today. Last week, we finished up our series on the Imperfect Disciples, and uh, that was an eight-week series on the book uh, by Jared Wilson, and hopefully many of you were in life groups and found that profitable uh, in terms of leaning into our discipleship, especially we felt, you know, with churches opening up a little bit after COVID and after this long sort of COVID season, it felt like a time that we needed to lean back into our need as believers to be discipled and to be discipling each other, and to be really leaning into our Christian walk. Maybe we kind of put it on a shelf for a few months or we're distracted for a year, but we really have to continue to lean into the life that Jesus has called us to follow him. Well, now we have a couple of Sundays to be able to focus on Christmas. And it's only two more Sundays until Christmas. Is that for real? Like, I looked at the calendar. I was like, how many Sundays do I have to preach on baby Jesus? And it's only two. So um, winter is going to be over before you know it. I mean, it's Christmas and then Easter. And, uh, and, and each of those kind of highlights of the Christian calendar, Christmas and Easter, in their own ways are stories of birth and rebirth, creation and recreation. And we're all very much aware that the Old Testament begins with the story of creation, the birth of the world, so to speak, and the birth of humanity in Adam. But we often overlook or we forget that the New Testament is a story of rebirth, of the beginning of a new Adam, and is the beginning of a recreation. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 45, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Now, we don't normally refer to Jesus as Adam. But Paul says here in 1 Corinthians very explicitly, very clearly, that there is something taking place in Jesus that is like Adam. That's why he refers to him as the second Adam. And it's an important thing. It's a new thing. It's like the old. It's like Adam. But it's also unlike it. Paul is saying that there's continuity between Adam and Jesus, but there's also discontinuity because they are different. The old and the new, the earth and the spirit. So this morning, I hope it's helpful to us to look at the events of Christmas in this way that Paul would illuminate it for us. That Christmas is the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, the inauguration of a new kingdom, a new covenant with God, the possibility of forgiveness and salvation, all of those things that we think of at Christmas time. But Christmas is more even than just a new kingdom and a new covenant. It's the beginning of a recreation. Jesus is God with us, but is also the second Adam. He is a new man, a new representative of mankind to God. The Old Testament, you can think of it this way, is the book of the old creation. The New Testament is an account of the new creation. The new creation begins at Christmas. It begins in Bethlehem with a new Adam. And it's not an accident that the Apostle Paul has framed Jesus in the context of Adamic creation. 
There's something important for us to meditate on here. And this morning, our consideration of Jesus as the second Adam and Christmas as the advent of a new creation, I hope gives us even more reason to praise the coming of our King and our advocate and our representative in Jesus Christ. Let's just pray as we consider 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 5, and some texts in Genesis as well. Father God, we just pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what Paul is speaking of here as he more than once talks about Jesus as Adam. And what does that mean? What are the continuous things and the discontinuous things between the first man and the second man? And Father, help us to understand this and to Uh, stir our hearts up that we would behold you in even more clarity and even more glory uh, than when we first came in this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to begin with, I I need to explain a little bit about continuity and discontinuity. I alluded to that, this idea of continuity and discontinuity. And I'll I'll let you in on a little secret of Bible study. As you're studying your Bible, especially you're reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's a very helpful category to keep in mind. Old and new covenants, old and new promises, old and new people of God, old and new creation. As you study the Bible, we're struck by the presence of both continuity and discontinuity. That things continue, but they're not exactly the same. And it simply means, if you think of continuity and discontinuity in the Bible, that, that things are continuous or harmonious or the same between the old and the new. And then there's ways in which those things that are the same are different. They're in contrast to each other. They continue, but in a different way, or they change even while staying the same. Now, I'll just give you a couple of examples so you'll see what I'm talking about. I think you'll understand. For example, the Apostle Paul often teaches about the people of God. Well, in the Old Testament, the people of God were Israel. They were an ethnic nation that lived in a physical promised land. And God dwelt with his people in a tabernacle and in a temple. And in the New Testament, there's continuity. God still has a chosen people. and But in the New Testament, God's chosen people are what Paul calls Israel by promise or Israel by faith in Romans 9. So Paul says they're the same, but not the same. There's a people of God, it's a continuous, but there's also discontinuity. He says their circumcision is not of the flesh, but of the heart. The people of God are still circumcised, but they're circumcised in their heart, not in their flesh. And so you see this continuity and discontinuity. God dwells in the temple of his people, but the temple is not a physical temple. God dwells by his Holy Spirit in our hearts. Continuity and discontinuity. In the text we're looking at today, there's another example in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul applies it to our earthly bodies and our glorified heavenly bodies. In heaven, we will have physical, real bodies. There's continuity, physical continuity between our bodies now and our bodies then. We'll be recognizable as who we are. But there's also discontinuity. Those heavenly bodies will be glorified, transformed, never age, experience sickness, and all, all the rest of it. And so there's discontinuity between our bodies. And, and so that's what I mean when I say as we're studying scriptures, there's, you're looking in this category of is there continuity between what is happening between the old and the new, but then what is the importance of the discontinuity, of the contrast? Why has it changed? So understanding that concept, we can then frame what Paul is talking about in terms of Jesus when he refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Paul is saying, look, there's something continuous happening here. Jesus is like Adam. He's a second Adam. He's a last Adam, but he's like Adam. 
But he's also saying that there's something different. It's continuous, but also discontinuous. And we will, with this continuity and discontinuity in mind, let's look at the full section of Paul's text in 1 Corinthians 15 that I quoted a sentence from earlier. And let's see what Paul is saying about Jesus as the second Adam. He says, starting in verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is where he's talking about the continuity and discontinuity in our resurrection of our bodies. He says, if there's a natural body, there must also be a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then follows the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You see what Paul is doing here. He's saying there's continuity and there's discontinuity. There's Adam and there's us of the earth and there's heaven and there's us of the spirit as well. So let's look at these continuous and discontinuous things in these contrasts. The first thing is that God is continuous in the way in which he deals with his creation. God created the earth and everything in it. The earthy creation, Paul would call it. I like the translation that says dusty. It was a dusty translation creation. And God interacted with humankind in creation through a man, Adam, who was of the dust. And Adam was mankind's representative to God. And God related to humanity through Adam, not just as the first man, but as a representation of all mankind to come. That's the old creation, God creating and representing or being represented with to man through a man. So now God is again producing a man. God is bringing us a second Adam. He wants to have another representative with his creation. The word in Hebrew for man is Adam. So when you say Adam, you could be saying the name Adam, 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 or you could just be saying Adam, man, mankind, humanity. And so this new man of God will also be a representative in creation, just like Adam was. Adam and Jesus in this regard are the same, but also different. How are these two Adams different in the representation of man? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 5 briefly here, where Paul again talks about Jesus as Adam and the difference in how they represent humanity. This is a little dense, but we're just going to look at the contrast of Jesus as Adam. Romans 5 says, Everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it and live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So you see, there's a totally different representation of, of, of mankind to God in Adam and in Jesus. Jesus is the new representation, but he is a representation of righteousness. There's a lot to meditate there on that text, and maybe you'll take it home even at Christmas. It's a great Christmas text to meditate on, even though it doesn't seem very Christmassy. But both Adam and Jesus act as the representatives of mankind. And this is how God continues to act. He acts with his creation through a representative, via a representative. First it was Adam in the old creation, but now we have a new representative in Jesus in the new creation. And there's many differences in the continuity that we have in these two representatives that stand for humanity now. First of all, there's a difference in likeness. The first man is made in the likeness of God. We read in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first Adam is made in the image of God. He's not God. He's just an image of God, but isn't God. He's the image of the creator. And the terms are important here because neither Adam nor any of humankind that followed was made God, but was made to bear the image of God. But Jesus, the second Adam, is not just the image of God, but is the exact imprint of God. Hebrews 1.3 says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You can see the difference there and the deity that is in Christ. Because the first Adam never upheld anything. He tended a garden. Adam depended on creation for his existence. Whereas here in Hebrews it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The universe is dependent on Jesus. Jesus is not dependent on the universe. So Adam, created in the image of God, is dependent on creation to exist. Jesus is the perfect imprint, is God, and upholds creation, not depends on creation. And Paul explains a little further how this has come to pass, and he shifts the emphasis from Jesus being the imprint of God to Jesus as God taking the form of man in Philippians 2. Jesus, the Messiah, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So you see the similarity, but then the difference. Adam is created in the likeness of God. Jesus is God, is born in the likeness of men. And this is the contrast that continues through the New Testament. The continuity and yet the discontinuity between Adam and Jesus. Jesus is God in human flesh. Of course, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. The incarnation, the mystery of a God becoming man. The Father present with us in the Son. Even as Jesus said so himself. He said, I have been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
So rather than dust being given the image of God, God has humbled himself to become dusty. There's a difference in the image. There's also a difference in the existence of the first Adam and the second Adam. This is what I mean by a difference in existence. I mean the first Adam, there was a time when he was not in existence at all. There was a a time in history, a time in eternity when there was no Adam, there was no first man. The first man was made, he was created at a point in history. God breathed life into him and made him come into being, Genesis 2-7 says. Says the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And so the first Adam didn't exist and then came into being. But then we meditate and we think, but what about the second Adam? Well, that's not true of the second man, the second Adam. Jesus is fully man, but Jesus did not come from non-existence. Jesus has always existed. The second Adam has existed for eternity. And then came into being in the world. There was never a time when Jesus was non-existent. The Gospel of John introduces us to Jesus in very new Adamic terms, stressing his eternality and his existence prior to creation. The Gospel opens in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was from the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Now, we think of the baby Jesus lying in a manger, and we might accidentally think of him like all other babies that are born. The new birth of a baby, a baby born into an old creation. But that is actually the opposite of what we should think about the baby Jesus. It is not a new creature, a new creation born into an old universe. It is the Ancient of Days who has come to remake a new creation. The baby is ancient and eternal. Bethlehem is not the beginning of Jesus. It is instead the beginning of all creation being made new. The newness is not in the manger. The newness is in all of the universe. Newness in recreation is going to radiate outward from this baby to eventually recreate the whole cosmos. The creator has entered into his creation to recreate it. There was no point in history or before history that Jesus was not. He has had his being for all eternity. The first Adam was created. The second Adam is creator. And Paul picks up on the same kind of language as John uses in Colossians. He says in Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you see the difference between the first Adam and the second. The first Adam was brought up out of the earth to have life breathed into him. The second Adam did not come up out of the earth, but came down from heaven to breathe life into the world. We can also consider the reversal of worlds that the two Adams are born into. The first Adam was put into a perfect world already created. There was no pestilence, no disease, no sin, no shame. The world came first, and then the man was placed into that perfect world. And then being placed into that perfect world, the man brought imperfection to it. 
In contrast, the second Adam did not come into a perfect world. He came into a sinful world and a fallen world, a cursed world. A world in many ways that was slowly and steadily being uncreated. A world that was wearing down and wearing away physically through entropy and spiritually through sin. Jesus came into a world of war and jealousy and strife and suffering. There's a great old hymn written in 1866 by John Henry Newman. And the second verse goes this way. It says, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. You see, the first Adam was placed in a perfect world and he brought imperfection to it. The second Adam comes into a broken and cursed and sinful world. And instead of bringing imperfection, he brings perfection. Jesus came not to destroy the world, but to save it. He came to the fight, to the rescue, to rescue it from the curse of the first Adam, and in fact, to recreate new heavens and new earth perfectly again, which I'll touch on shortly. So there's a reversal of the worlds in which they came into. There's also a reversal of the works. What is the fight that Jesus came to? When we think of the first Adam, the first man was placed in paradise. He had no work to do but to enjoy the fellowship of God and multiply the glory of God. There were no thorns, there were no pests, there was no drought, there were no 90-kilometer-hour winds tearing things apart, nothing that would cause toil or suffering. And I don't know how all that worked out exactly in Eden. Maybe it was kind of like Snow White, and Adam and Eve just got up and started singing, and all the sparrows did the laundry and took care of the garden, and the deer, you know, did their thing. I don't know how it worked, but there was no toil. There was no strenuous work for mankind to do in the garden. He was in the garden with God and had only to fellowship with God who provided everything. Eden was a place of rest and of comfort, not toil. Most importantly, by far, Eden was a place of fellowship and the presence of mankind with God and God providing everything required. It was paradise. It was heaven on earth. And first, Adam lost it. For his sin, he was unwillingly banished from Eden. There was an angel put with a sword at the gate of Eden. And he was banished far from the presence of God. The first Adam had no work to do. But in contrast, our second Adam, Jesus, he left paradise. Jesus willingly left heaven where he had fellowship with God for eternity. And coming as the last Adam, he didn't have nothing to do. He had everything to do. He had a tremendous work. He had the hardest, cruelest, most difficult, and most suffering job to do in order to restore the fellowship of God that the first Adam lost. Again, reading in Philippians where Jesus humbled himself to take on the form of a servant. It says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's a very great difference between the first Adam and the second Adam in the work that was asked of them. First Adam, God said, you don't have to do anything. Here's paradise, you're in it, I'll take care of everything, no toil. He says to the second Adam, Jesus, you're going to go down and do the hardest work of all. You're going to die for humanity. You're going to be separated from me so that they can be reunited. And of course, there's a contrast in representation. The first man, as a representative of mankind, rebelled and disobeyed. He was tempted and he fell to that temptation. And as our representative, all mankind became guilty of rebellion and and we became guilty of sin, an enemy of God. 
But what do we find in the second Adam? Jesus was also tempted in all the same ways that we are. The enemy tempted him first in the wilderness, but then followed him his whole life and continued to tempt Jesus through his ministry, even through his own disciples. Jesus had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because of the temptation that he faced day in and day out. The writer of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet we are, yet is without sin. The first Adam was tempted and fell. The second Adam tempted likewise in every manner as we are, but did not fall, was without sin. Jesus mastered both the flesh and the devil. He bound the strong man of this world and is plundering his house, even as Matthew 12 says. Not only did Jesus not sin, it wasn't just the negative, it's like Jesus didn't sin, but he also worked a perfect obedience to his Father's will. He lived a perfect life to glorify God. He spoke the words not of himself, but the words God gave him, and the works not the works of himself, but the works God gave him to do, John 14.10 says. His obedience continued even to death on a cross. He didn't fall to temptation, and he lived a perfect righteous life. So that the Father could say on at least three occasions that we have recorded, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Romans 5 puts it this way, as we read, For as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see, there's sin in us by nature because of Adam's representative nature of mankind. We don't become sinners because we commit sin. We commit sin because we are by nature sinners. Our sinfulness is by nature, not deed. Our sinfulness is innate to us. Our sinful nature precedes us. We sometimes might get tricked into thinking, you know, why doesn't God give another earthy Adam another chance, another, another dusty Adam a chance to not sin and to live in perfect obedience? Specifically, sometimes we're thinking, why don't I get that chance? You know, I was born an innocent little baby. You know, why do I have the nature of sin? Why didn't God give me the chance to live perfectly? I could have done better than Adam. No, you couldn't. Adam was our representative in that all of mankind falls. We will fall. No one will prove to God how righteous they are by their works. Adam had the chance, and he was fell to temptation, and we would all do the same. As Jesus is the perfect imprint of God, Adam was the complete imprint of man and is our perfect representative. The second Adam, though, is a different story. Romans 8 says, For what the law or works could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but walk according to the Spirit. The first Adam brought us all under judgment. But in Jesus, God has given us a path to righteousness. In the second Adam, Jesus was able to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Or in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a total difference in the representation between the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam brought us into judgment. The second Adam sets us free from judgment. 
The first man brought death. The second man is life and life eternal. The ultimate effect, we are told, of Adam's action was death in the Garden of Eden, in fellowship with God. The first man need never have died. He was put into a perfect creation and was expected to glorify God and multiply his creation, multiply himself to glorify, multiply the glory of God in that perfect creation. He had the gift of immortality. Adam and Eve were only told to not eat of one fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. They were not told they couldn't eat of the tree of life. It wasn't until after they sinned that God put them out of touch with the tree of life. Up until then, the tree of life was theirs to eat for eternity. But Adam sinned, and the wages of sin is death, separation from God permanently, and Adam brought death. But the second Adam did not come to bring death and judgment, but life. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Or Paul, just following our main text in 1 Corinthians today, 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first Adam brings death. The second Adam brings life and life abundantly. In the baby of Bethlehem, God not only made a new Adam, but God is making a new race of men, finally perfect. And he will come back again, destroying all enemies and purging the universe of evil and sin. Finally, As I alluded to at the beginning, Christmas is the beginning of a new creation, a recreation through our new Adam. God is reversing the unmaking of creation that began and has begun recreating in Jesus. You see, the first time around, the continuity here is that the first time around, God made a perfect world and he put man into that world. The world came first and man came second into the world. And then the world followed man into the curse. Mankind fell, and the world was cursed. Now in this second creation, God has reversed the pattern. He still engages with the world through a man. We've seen all the differences in that man. But the pattern of the second creation begins with the man. It begins at Jesus' birth. It starts with a perfect man and will end with a perfect world. First, we began in paradise and abandoned it. The second time through, we start far from paradise, but will return to it. Those who are born into the new creation, children of God. And it is through mankind, beginning with the first man, that creation will be recreated into perfection again. You see, there's continuity but discontinuity. It's the pattern, but it's the pattern reversed. God created a perfect world. Man came in, man sinned, and the world followed the curse of man into the curse. The second time, we live in a cursed world. A perfect man comes into an imperfect world, and the world is going to follow that man into perfection through the perfect men that he creates. Romans 8, 19, 21 says it this way. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing 
of the sons of God. Paul there is talking about our glorification. All of creation is waiting for the final judgment. For when we will put on the imperishable, when the sons and daughters of God will be revealed in perfection. And this is why creation waits. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you see the reverse order? We're glorified. We obtain our glory from the first Adam. The perfect man has come into an imperfect world. He's called a people to himself. Sons and daughters who will be glorified. And all of creation in its curse waits with anticipation because it is going to follow. It wants to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This creation is going to follow us into glory. It's the same thing, just in reverse. God is remaking Edom. He's remaking paradise. He's remaking the physical world. And that world is going to follow us into glory. Those that believe and trust in the second Adam will dwell with him and reign with him and enjoy this glory forever in a perfect and remade creation. The first Adam destroyed Eden. The second Adam is remaking it. He's recreating it. That's what Bethlehem is about. We very rarely think of Jesus as the second Adam. We don't often think of Bethlehem and the baby born in the major as the beginning of recreation. But that is exactly what is happening in Bethlehem. It was the first move in this recreation. It was start with this perfect man. Start with a new Adam who does it right. And from this perfect man, regenerate a new race of mankind and a new kingdom, a new family even, the children of God. And then when the fullness of this new race from this new Adam has come into being, then through them, a perfect world will be remade for God's perfect people. And sin and shame and sorrow will be no more like it was in the beginning. And fellowship with God will be perfect. And we will walk with him in the garden again. Amen. And all of this new creation happens because God has sent us a new representative, a new man, a new Adam. His own son sent him into the world at Christmas time. His unspeakable gift. Don't line yourself up under the old Adam. Set yourself free. Walk towards glory. Let Jesus be the representative of the new mankind, the new spiritual you. Let's pray. Father God, we're born dusty, and we stay dusty, even as you you alluded to it yourself when you washed the disciples' feet. Peter said, hey, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. And you said, Peter, you're already clean. It's just your feet are dusty. That's how we, even Christians, even children of God, go through this world. We're of the dust, and we get dusty, even though you've made us clean. Praise God, you've made us clean. But even though we're of the dust, you have come from heaven and entered into this dusty world to be a new representative. And so I just pray for those that are here, for those that are listening, 
Put your faith in the new Adam. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in one place, that God has done what we could not do. God has given us a perfectly sinful, sinless representative, a perfectly obedient worker of his good works, and that he went to the cross to die for our sins, that what started in Bethlehem is not finished, and you are relentless in pursuing the end. It will only be finished when we are called to glory, to be glorified with our representative Jesus, our high priest. It will only be finished when this whole creation, the universe, the cosmos, is remade anew in perfection. And we get to live in that universal garden of Eden forever with you. We thank you that this is what Christmas is about. We thank you that this is our new Adam. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.